0: Um, I, I mean as most of you know I can barely speak English properly being from Mississippi uh, foreign languages were hard for me and still are hard for me and I was going to get a degree in religious religious studies or Bible or I can't remember what they called it back then um, but you had to have a foreign language and I took about a half a semester of Spanish and I quickly realized that I was going to have to find some type of major motivation, and I was going to have to study twice as hard in order to pass that class. And so my wheels started turning, and I was like, "What? what can I? Do? how can I still study the things that I want to study but not take a foreign language? Well, I found out that I could switch my major over to history, and that way I would not have to take a foreign language. However, I would have to take something in its place— called constitutional development. Now, if we have any lawyers in the room, you know that basically uh, that's that's like pre-law. I had to take a year of pre-law in order to skip a foreign language. I, I, I don't know why I did that. I mean, I tortured myself. The law is an absolute monster. It's not just that we have the Constitution of the United States upon which all of our our laws are based, but we have all of these decades and centuries of court case after court case after court case that has interpreted our Constitution and so it is a lot in order to grasp and in uh, in order to study. Well you know in Bible times you had something similar. In Bible times, you had the Old Testament Jewish law, which they called the Torah, which New Testament and excuse me, uh, modern Christian scholars call the Pentateuch, which you and I just call the first five books of the Old Testament. But you had that, you had those founding documents, just like. In our nation, we have the founding document of the Constitution. You had those founding documents in, 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 uh, in Jewish society, which were those first five books of the Old Testament. And you had all this rabbinic law. The rabbis would pass all these interpretations of the law over all of this time and over all these centuries. And for the Jews, they were governmental laws, there were ceremonial laws, and there were religious laws. And it was a lot of information for a person to live up to. I mean, for a person to learn everything that God had said in the Old Testament and then learn all of the, you know, uh, interpretations throughout the centuries to figure out what God expected, it was a lot of information. Now, don't get me wrong. The law was important. It was given by God. It was his self-revelation. But in the mind of a Jew, don't miss this part, the mind of a Jew, they thought they were better than everybody else because they had the law. They thought in their mind that their ethnic group, their nation, their people group, that they were better than all the other people groups in the world, all those Gentiles out there, all those pagans out there, they thought they were better than everybody because God had given them. The law. Now, imagine if you were the only nation and the only ethnic group on the face of the earth that worshipped God. Well, may, maybe we might get a little arrogant too. But but they certainly did in Jesus's time. And so, in Romans chapter two, what we're going to look at today, Paul had made this extensive argument about how people who 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 uh, don't know Christ and Gentiles and who don't know Christ that they're lost. But he also makes an argument in Romans chapter 2 that the Jewish nation, even though they had all of the laws of God, that they were also lost apart from Christ. Now odds are, you're here today, you're in church, you come to church because you want to be godly. Odds are, you come and you worship the Lord because you, you genuinely want to be the person that God has called you to be. You want to live up to God's standards. I'm, I'm going to make that assumption about you that the only motivation that you would come to church would be for the, that spiritual reason. Well, today, we're going to see this extensive argument that Paul makes that we're not going to be able to please God just by following the works of the law we're not going to be able to become righteous people just by following all the rules and following all the law of god that he tells us to and doing all the things that he requires that that is not a path to being righteous with God. In addition, we're also going to see in Romans chapter 2, we're going to see how this uh, works-based righteousness is condemned, but we're also going to read how a righteousness that's just attained through birth or through ethnicity or culture or family of origin, that those also are not paths. Those are not things that we can rely upon in order to become right with God. Now, there's there's, there's a lot of information in this text. There's a lot of information in these verses. But they're really actually quite simple. And so uh, rather than reading them all up front, I'm just going to kind of read them as we, as we go along today. And I hope that even, even though whenever we read these verses, it's like, okay, this is kind of a complicated argument. The Apostle Paul is saying that the law doesn't matter, but he's doing it in a way that is really is even more complicated than the law itself. I think that these verses are actually pretty simple today, and I hope to simplify them for you. The first thing right out the gate in Romans chapter 2, verse 11. Uh, the The Bible says that God shows no partiality. God shows no partiality is is what's stated in Romans chapter two verse ten Now this is important this kind of starts the argument that is made that both Jews and Gentiles and by the way if you don 't know what a Gentile is, a Gentile is simply a non jewish person that would That would be like me and you, most of us. I would assume probably all of us, non-Jewish people. In Bible times, um, there were just simply Jews and Gentiles. That's kind of the way that Scripture kind of looked at the people of the world. Now, no one likes partial treatment. If you have kids, you know that you can't be... Partial in punishment or rewards. You do that as a parent and you get called out quick. How much more the Heavenly Father who created all of us. And so this statement that God shows no partiality, um, this is basically where, a, a, this is a link between Romans chapter 1 and Romans chapter 2. Romans chapter 1, uh, Paul goes to great lengths to say that, uh, that there's a lost world out there. And in Romans chapter 2, is basically a condemnation of the Jews at the time uh, for simply relying upon the law to save them because there is no... Partiality with God. Basically, he's going to, this kind of launches the argument that's saying that both Jews and Gentiles will be judged equally, both rewarded and punished equally. Jews uh, will be judged with the law, Gentiles uh, without the law, but both of them will be judged. So in verse 12, uh, he says, For all who have sinned without the law will also perish without without the law. This is speaking about Gentiles. This is speaking about non-Jewish people who don't have the law, haven't received the law. He said they're going to perish without the law. Then he says, And all who have sinned under the law will be judged by the law. Now, verse 13 should probably make perfect sense. For it's not the hearers of the law who are righteous before God but the doers of the law who will be justified. Now, there are those people who don't, who at the time, certainly at the time, and at our time too, they don't have the law of God. And again, Scripture just calls them Gentiles. And the Bible says that they will perish without the law. And then, according to this argument, there are the Jews who had received the law, and they're going to be judged under the law or by the law. But then he said, ultimately, it really just doesn't matter if you have the law or if you don't have the law, if you know God's standards or if you don't know God's standards, really the important thing is that you follow God's standards. I mean, sinning is sinning, right? It doesn't matter if you're a Jew or a Gentile, it doesn't matter if you have the law or if you don't have the law. I mean, a sin is a sin, correct? So if I commit a crime, or if a policeman commits a crime, or if an attorney commits a crime, then it's, it's still a crime. And so a pastor who teaches the Word of God, who breaks the law, is the same as a non-believer who's maybe even never heard the Word of God at all, who breaks the law. I mean, it's, it's still a breaking of the law, no matter if someone knows the law and has the law or not. And so this is the argument that's being made here. And he's telling the Jews, the whole point is he's saying, it's not important to know the law, it's important to actually obey it. And then he gives this this hypothetical argument in chapter 2, verse 14. He says, "...for when Gentiles who do not have the law by nature do what the law requires, their law to themselves..." even though they don't have the law. They show that the work of the law is written on their hearts while their conscience also bears witness and their conflicting thoughts accuse or even excuse them on the day when, according to my gospel, God judges the secrets of men by Jesus Christ. Now, let's pretend you and I are playing golf. Let's pretend that you're a pro. Let's pretend that you know all the rules that you have read all the PGA rules, you know all the rules, and let's pretend that I'm brand new at this and I have never played golf before and you maybe just kind of give me a brief explanation of kind of what we're doing. There are intuitively things that you would just know about the game of golf that you can't do, All right. For example, I've got a really, really good foot wedge. Y'all know what a foot wedge is, right? So for those of you who play golf, a wedge is a little short a little short club that you use to kind of make short shots. A foot wedge is whenever you just walk up and you just kind of kick the ball and kind of put it whatever you want to. Now, those of you who play golf, you know that that's cheating. I mean, you can justify it and say, well, I mean, it's not a big deal. I mean, there's a root here. They should have kept the course up better. Well, it's not my fault. I mean, it really should be a lateral hazard here. We make all kinds of—they should clip these branches. I mean, they're just kind of in my way. We make all the kind of excuses for about that foot wedge, right, for those of you who know how to play. But even if I've never played golf before, I intuitively know that I'm probably not supposed to reach down and pick up the ball and just kind of toss it up on the green wherever I want it. I mean, we intuitively know what cheating looks like even if you don't know all the rules in a game there are certain things that you just intuitively know are cheating well it's the same way with life I mean God created this world and he's given us his law and those of us who have studied the law we know all the specifics about what God says to do and what what God says not to do we know them all because we studied them Well, even if we don't have the law there's just some things that we intuitively know were wrong we just intuitively know that there are things that we just should not do as human beings. That's because we have a conscience. And this is the only, this, this is pretty much what the Apostle Paul is talking about right here. He's saying on the day of judgment, when the law is used, it's not those who have received the law or had the best knowledge of it that matters. And he's, he's saying that these, these Gentiles who don't have the law, he says they have something else. Even though they don't have the law, they have something else. They have an internal conscience. They have thoughts about right and wrong. This is, this is why you ponder what's right and wrong. A sense of justice and, unjust, and things that are unjust, a, a sense of right and wrong, a sense of good and evil. It's really, it is seared upon our souls, even if we don't have the written law of God. And he says they're a law to themselves. It's written on their heart. Their thoughts, their consciences are there. Now, in Romans chapter 1, we, we looked at the idea of general revelation in nature. Like we look around and we say, yes, there's a God. Look at these trees. Look at how the earth spins on its axis. I mean, how my body works and how the universe just kind of coordinates together and all. We look at that and we think, how can there not be a God? The Bible says the heavens declare the handiwork of God. Well, here in Romans chapter 2, the apostle Paul says it's not just nature that declares that there's a God and has immutable attributes, but also human nature also communicates the very same same thing. There's something outside of us and also inside of us that says, hey, there's a God, there's right and there's wrong, there's good and there's evil. Animals do not have this. If your dog steals your hot dog off of your plate, that dog does not feel guilty about it. He does not feel like he's doing something wrong, and when you spank him, when you scold him, well, he can't think. But if he did think, he would say, well, "What's her deal?" You know, he doesn't. He, he the animals don't have that type of conscience. We do. This is not proof that we're not sinners. This is proof that deep in our hearts, we know that we're sinners even if we don't have the law of God. We have a moral sensitivity that it's embedded within inside of us. And so what Paul is saying is, listen, all you Jews who have the law of God, you're really in no better position than Gentiles who have a conscience. In fact, you could be in a worse position because you also have a conscience. You have the written law of God that you've been studied and trained in and you have the con- a conscience of morality, of right and wrong, but yet you still break the law of God. And, and this is what he says in verse 17 and following. He says, If you call yourself a Jew and rely on the law and boast in God and know his will and approve what is excellent, because you are instructed in the law... And if you are sure that you yourself are a guide to the blind and a light to those who are in darkness and an instructor of the foolish. Look at he is he is heaping up language here. A teacher of children having the law, the embodiment of knowledge and truth. You then who teach others, do you teach yourself? In other words, you have all these things. You're a Jew, you've got the law, you boast, you know his will, what is excellent, you've been instructed, you're a guide, a light, a teacher, an instructor, all these different things. He says, but do you teach yourself? He says, you preach against stealing. Well, do you steal? Were there Jews that stole? I think so. He says, you say one must not commit adultery. Do you commit adultery? Were there Jews at the time that committed adultery? Well, of course there were. You who abhor idols, do you rob temples? You boast in the law, but dishonor God by breaking the law. For it is written, the name of God is blasphemed among the Gentiles because of you. This is kind of what happens whenever we preach law. Eventually, because we're sinful people, somebody's going to find something in us and where we have broken the law. That's the, that's, that's, the, that's the danger in preaching God's law. You see, we can go. The interesting thing about this is we can give people law after law after law. God's law, all of his standards, but that doesn't mean that people are going to automatically follow them. You remember those people a long time ago recorded in Exodus, those Hebrews that came out of Egypt that that, that audibly heard God speak and thunder from the mountain and got, and received the law of God. Do you know they began to break those laws almost immediately. And after they entered the promised land, it was only a couple of generations before they just kind of disregarded the law of God altogether. There's something, there, there's something about trying to give people the standards of God that almost almost guarantees that they're not going to follow them. And I find, this, I find this pretty interesting. We can go on the mission field and we can come up to a person who's never heard of our God and we can say, hey, here are God's laws and God's standards. And you know what almost never happens? What almost never happens is they'll go, Oh, okay, I'll do that. That almost, that almost never happens. I mean, try to go up to a person who's not a worshiper of Jesus and say hey the Bible says you shouldn't do those things Um, and see if it changes their life there's something about even the law of God that doesn't change people's life I don't guess much has changed between the Hebrews back then and the Jews in Jesus's day and really Christian people in our day There's religious people everywhere that clutch their Bibles and attend church and yet violate the teachings of the very Bible and the very Jesus that they proclaim. And this is why people criticize Christians. is because we pound our fists about the law, the law, the law, the standards. We pound our fists about these things. But it's just a matter of time. If someone watches our life closely, they're going to find some way that we don't measure up to the very teachings of the Bible that we clutch and we proclaim. Because the, the law will not make us righteous. And by the way, while we're at it, we might as well get to religious ceremonies as well. There was a, a, a certain religious ceremony that was mentioned here in verse 25 about circumcision. I won't go into a lot of detail about this, but verse 25, it says, For circumcision indeed is a value if you obey the law. But if you break the law, your circumcision becomes uncircumcision. He says, so if a man who is uncircumcised keeps the precepts of the law, will not his uncircumcision be regarded as circumcision? And he who is physically uncircumcised but keeps the law will condemn you who have the written code and break the law. Now circumcision was like this religious sign that a person had the law and obeyed the law. Now. I'm not sure how they monitored this, and I don't want to know. Um, But the same argument that Paul is making about the law is also made about this religious ceremony that's supposed to demonstrate that a person follows the law of God. It's kind of like for us baptism. Baptism is a a symbol that, hey, I belong to Christ. uh, Circumcision was kind of a symbol, hey, we belong to God. We are in the Jewish community. We are in covenant with him. But Paul makes the same argument about circumcision as he did about the law—that there's there's something about these religious ceremonies that just don't save. Now, I know that's a lot of text. I mean, if you just if you just go and read that passage in and of it yourself, you're like, oh my goodness, this is just a lot of it. From what is he really saying here? You know, I said at the beginning that I assume that you're here in church because you have a desire to be godly and because you want to be righteous before God. I I think that that is the heart of every Christian, of every churchgoer, of every person who names the name of Jesus. We just say, I just, I want to be right with God. I want to live in a manner and walk in a manner that is worthy of Him. What this passage tells us is how that does not happen. So here's some application for you. And just, just stated simply following the rules will not make you righteous. It just doesn't. It, ju- it just does not work that way. I know it seems intuitively that, okay, um, I follow the rules of my society. And, I am a, and I'm a responsible citizen. I know that it's easy for us when we look in the secular realm and we say, I follow the rules of my business and I'm a good employee. I follow the rules of my house and I'm, I'm a good child. But when we try to transfer that intuitively over to, what, to, to, to the spiritual realm, following the rules will just simply not make you righteous let me tell you something that I do not want to happen. I do not want my eternal destiny to be based upon how my life has measured up to the law of God. I would be willing to go into any court system right now and say, jail me or not jail me, based upon how I have followed the the law of society. I would be willing to to do that. I might have to do a little bit of time, but not a lot. Um, If there's one thing I don't ever want to happen is I do not want to go into the court of God and for the law of God to be used as a measurement as to whether or not I get to spend eternity in heaven or hell If that happens, I'm in trouble. I'm in in major trouble if the law of God is going to be used. In fact, if there is a judgment and my eternal destiny is dependent upon me having never transgressed the law, I'm done. All of us are done. And if, there, if, if, if there is a judgment in which there is just a threshold, okay, um, we, uh, God says we can handle a little bit of sin, but there's a threshold, and if you've gone over a certain threshold, well, sorry, you have to go to hell. I'm not even going to make that cut. I'm, I, I'm so glad that there's a way to be righteous that has absolutely nothing to do with how good I am. Praise the Lord, Jesus died to cancel that written code. Following the rules will not make you righteous. Here's one for you. Being religiously smart will not make you righteous. You see, in Jesus' day, there there were these special categories of smart religious guys. They were called scribes and Pharisees. You, might, you and I might would have called them uh, pastors or seminary professors or something, something like that. These were the scribes and Pharisees. These were, these were the trained, smart, religious guys. They had an answer for everything. And, man, they would call you out in a minute if you did something wrong. They knew and understood the law, but they were far away from being righteous according to Jesus. You know, there's a lot of intellectual people in Christianity, and I praise God for them. I really do. I mean, I don't like smart people because I'm jealous. Um, because I wish, I wish I was smarter. Um, and so maybe I'm just a little jealous but no, I really do. I praise God for the, for the people that among us are really smart and really intellectual. People that, for example know Greek and Hebrew and they can translate the documents of the New Testament uh, from Greek and Hebrew and can trans- translate to Acre. you got re- to be really smart to do that or to be an archaeologist or all these different things. I praise the Lord for all of the scholarly work that a lot of smart people have provided for us so that we can legitimately know what our Bible says and and who God is. And we need people like that. But listen, being smart and intellectual does not equal godliness. Being smart and intellectual, even about the Bible, knowing everything that the Bible says, does not equal godliness. Do you know that there are a lot of self-proclaimed atheists who know the Bible really, really well. Do you know that even Satan himself knows the Bible better than you do? It's not, just, it's not just knowing what's there. It's not just being smart. It's not just having right theology. That doesn't automatically make us right with God. Also, engaging in religious ceremonies will not make you righteous. You know the Jews, they had this whole thing about circumcision and they offered sacrifice. Man, they had they had a whole host of religious ceremonies that they had. But for us, just because you're baptized, just because you're a church member, just because you take communion or tithe or I don't know, teach a life group or a deacon or just because you're a pastor, you're on staff, It's not not automatic that you're right with God. And how about this? Following your heart and what is right and wrong won't make you righteous. We hear this a lot of times. Oh, just follow your heart. No, your heart is exceedingly wicked. You are a sinful human being. You do not follow your heart. You follow Jesus. And what he has said in his word. We have a moral conscience and a moral compass. But ultimately, the only thing that our conscience does is condemn us as sinners. Listen, don't get lost in law. Don't do that. Don't think that I have to be smart. I have to hold a position somewhere in the church. I have to go through religious ceremonies. I have to know and follow all the rules. Don't get lost into thinking that you have to do something to earn God's favor. When Jesus died on that cross, he said, It's finished, it's done, all the work has been done. The works, the, the, the works that you do, the religious works that you do, coming to church and being a good person, those should just be results of the righteousness that you have already received from God. You see, some people are lost because they don't care about God's law. That is, that is a sure sign that a person is lost and does not have a relationship with Jesus. It's a sure sign to say they have the law, they just don't care. They're just going to do whatever they want. They don't care what the law of God says. But there are some people that are lost because they're trapped in this deceptive lie that I have to follow the rules, I have to try real hard, I have to do the best that I can and just hope that it's enough. Listen, those those are statements that lost people make. Because they have no concept of grace. They have no concept of what Jesus has done for us. And they have no full and complete understanding of the good news that Jesus did it all. He was smart enough on our behalf. He followed all the rules on our behalf. He fulfilled all the righteous requirements of the law. And then he got what we deserved, death on a cross. And we got what he deserved, life eternal. That was the substitution that was made on the cross. And I just, I just find this truth to be so important because I see so many Christians that are trying so hard to earn God's favor. Whenever God just says, all you have to do is just surrender to me. I'll do the work inside of you. In fact, that's what, that's what Paul says at, in verse 28, verse 29. Only God can make us righteous. We can't make ourselves righteous. We can't follow enough rules. We can't be smart enough. We can't engage in enough religious ceremonies. We we cannot do enough. We'll never be able to do enough. In fact, we've already failed too much. Then we can never make up for it. Only God can make us righteous. And look at the way that he does it. He says, it's a matter of the heart by the Spirit. God the Spirit does something inside of you to make you righteous. You don't do some kind of work to make yourself righteous. God the Spirit does it inside of you. Listen, if you've you've come to know Jesus as Savior, in, in, in a real sense, this has already happened. You surrendered. You said, God, I'm at a low point. There's nothing that I can do, and I surrender. I'm going to stop trying, and I'm going to surrender. And God sent his Spirit, and you were born again. That day that you gave up on yourself, you gave up on your works, you gave up on your righteousness, and God the Spirit came and saved you. If you know Jesus as Savior, part of this has already happened in your life. If 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 it hasn't happened, this is what you need to pray for. You need to pray that God would take you to a point of absolute and complete surrender to where you say, Lord, I'm tired of trying. I'm tired of trying to do something that I can't. I'm tired of trying to please you. I'm tired of trying to be justified. I'm, trying, I'm, I'm tire, tired of trying to earn heaven. And I give up. Pray that God the Spirit would do that inside of you. But listen, if you're a Christian, if you're already a believer, the same principle applies. Why do we study the standards of God. We study them because we want God the Spirit to circumcise our hearts and change us. You don't make yourself righteous. Y'all have heard me say this before, but I've never heard a person that said God saved me, but I made me godly. I've never heard anybody say that. I've never heard anybody say, well, I made myself godly. No, you didn't. You you did not make yourself godly. I've never heard someone say, well, I sanctified myself. I made myself holy. No, it's a work of the Spirit, not the letter. Not human beings following the law. It's a work of the Spirit of God in your life. If there's some way that you're falling short, you you need to stop trying harder and you need to give up and say, Holy Spirit, change me. This is what God the Spirit does. And when he comes upon you, when he comes upon your life, he empowers you through his Spirit to follow the works of the law. Do you see the difference in that? The the difference in that is I'm going to try it on my own. I'm going to do what's right. And whenever I achieve it, God the Spirit comes upon me because God's pleased. That's the absolute reverse. The, 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 way, the way that it's supposed to happen is you say, I can't do this. You call upon Jesus. God the Spirit comes upon you and empowers you. And then whenever you are no longer the sinful person that you used to be, you recognize you didn't work for it. You recognize it was a work of the Spirit of God inside of you. Let's pray about that today. Let's bow our heads and let's close our eyes. And I just want to ask you, To pray a prayer of surrender. I already asked you to pray this prayer earlier in the service. I want to ask you to pray this prayer again. I hope, hope now you can pray this prayer with more focus and with more intensity. If you don't have a relationship with Jesus, if you've never been justified by God, ask him right now. Just pray.